Well, brothers uh, it is, and sisters, it's a privilege for me to invite into the pulpit today the Reverend Andrew Moody. Uh, I don't think he needs much introduction to this congregation. We all, especially our covenant youth who've been to camp for uh, uh, any of the last 25 years. How long have you been going to camp, Andrew? Uh, uh, our covenant youth know him well. Those of you who have served as counselors at camp, you know Andrew well. But he is more than just the funny guy who comes up and makes... Uh, uh, does funny uh, skits and things like that at camp. He's a minister of God's word. He's a brother in Christ and a dear friend. And uh, and yet again, once again today, I've had my bacon saved by uh, Andrew willing, being willing to uh, to preach here uh, and, and cover for me. So, brother, please come and proclaim God's word to us today. I'm assuming you've got your own Bible. That's good. I'll take mine then. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Good to see you, brother. Clear out here. All right. We're going to have uh, two scripture readings this morning. The first will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I'll give you my greetings. It's a joy to be with you, to worship the Lord with each of you. And, um, yeah, we, uh, we as a Presbytery, let me, let me say this, we are thankful for you. You, uh, because God has sovereignly put you where you are geographically and He has given your church the gifts that He has given you, which are many, uh, He has also called on you often to use them to bless all of the other churches in the Presbytery. You host more meetings here than any other church. Your session um, uh, is involved in more responsibilities outside these walls, many of you, which you probably never even hear about and uh, have more pressure put upon them than most other churches. So thank you. Thank you for your service, for your sacrifice for Christ. And I want to encourage you too to not grow weary in doing good uh, because it glorifies the Lord and it blesses uh, so many people that you never know. You never know all the, all the fruit of that that takes place outside these walls. But trust me, uh, that it's a lot, and it is appreciated. And so, again, we're happy to be here with you this morning, and uh, we, we finally made it down from Denison. We stayed there overnight, and uh, we'll be heading back down to San Antonio this afternoon by God's grace. But this morning, we, uh, we're going to be, uh, uh, begin by reading uh, from John chapter 15, the first 11 verses. This is God's Word. And it is our authority for our faith and our life as his people. So please give it your attention as it's read. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, 
my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thus far God's word. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, and as you're turning there, I, I uh, saw this morning when I, uh, I checked my social media feed at the hotel, and uh, somebody said, since uh, we gained an hour today, that all pastors have license to preach for an additional hour. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, we'll have to see if that comes true or not, but... Um, Maybe when I was right out of seminary, I might have done that. But no, um, in fact, I find that the longer I preach, um, the easier it is, in some respects, to distill the thoughts from the text into the sermon. Um, those of you who have done any writing know it's hard to cut down. It's hard to cut back. It's you know, people say, well, it's a lot easier to write an hour-long sermon than it is to preach a 25-minute-long sermon because there's so much that can be said but maybe doesn't have to be said. Um, and so this morning we're going to be focusing on just two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But uh, I'll begin reading in verse 1 so you can hear the context of what Paul is saying here in this letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide 
the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to, as, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray for his blessing. Father, we thank you for your word inspired by your spirit. We confess your word is truth. We pray now you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching of your word. That we would not uh, walk away from it unchanged, but that you would give us illumination to see, to understand, to know. And that by your spirit, you would continue to mold us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. What does it mean to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ? To be joined to others through vows, to live, serve, worship, grow together in Christ. Or as the common phrase today is, well, like to do life together. That's kind of the hip way of talking about it. To find rest, strength, joy, encouragement in the Lord together. To live as one in Christ. This unity uh, is displayed especially in the celebration of our Lord's Supper. And Paul addresses that specifically here in 1 Corinthians 10. He's concerned to show the unity of God's people who are called to be holy, to be set apart from the world around us that he says here is filled with sinful demonic worship, to not go after those things in the world as he has provided us the examples um, in Israel's history where they would go after the nations around them and seek idols to worship instead of worshiping the true God. He asks in verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? This, of course, is a rhetorical question. Yes, indeed it is. Even as Jesus himself said, the cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. That's chapter 11, verse 25, if you flip over there. It is certainly a cup of blessing. But notice that it is not the cup itself that blesses us. It is called the cup of blessing because this is the cup that Jesus himself blessed when he instituted this sacrament. It is the blessed cup, blessed by Jesus in its institution, blessed by us in its administration, and a blessing to us as we partake of it and participate in it. When we come to the table and your pastor reads the words of institution, we pray for God to bless this meal. This supper that he has set before us, that he has provided for us. Now, kids, I, I have a habit of asking little questions, and then it's okay to answer audibly. I know you may not normally do that, but uh, maybe a little weird. When, you, when we talk about a blessing, would you say that's a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing, right? To be blessed is a, is a positive thing. It's a good thing. Uh, something to be thankful for. It's something that's good. It's a favor, a gift. Something that we should be thankful for. And kids, where do all of our blessings come from? That's right. They come from God. All of our blessings, everything good that we have, that we experience, that we know... It all comes to us from God. The blessing that comes in the Lord's Supper is from God for those who profess their faith, who believe in Jesus. Or if you get to the purpose statement of John's gospel, who believe in him and receive life in his name. So kids... Let me ask you another question. Are you a member of the church? I don't know all of you little ones, but I know enough of you to know most everyone I see is. Okay. Your membership, when you join and you receive the covenant sign of baptism, which is a very special thing, it's a huge blessing, that sign that you're a part of God's family a part of this church family, you become a member based on your parents' faith. Their profession of faith. Because the Bible says that a child born to even one believing parent is holy, is set apart in God's eyes and is special. And so God has set you apart by giving you a Christian parent so that you will be raised according to his word. That is a tremendous blessing to grow up hearing the truth, knowing the one true and living God. And your baptism shows this. But more than that, you are called to profess your own faith in Jesus. As you grow up, as you mature, 
We pray that you experience this important transition from worshiping God and praying to him out of obedience because your parents have taught you to do this and they have certain expectations for you to delighting in worship and prayer because you love the Lord your God and you want to glorify him. And even if your parents weren't there saying, you got to get up, we got to get to Sunday school on time. You would want to be there. You would take delight in that. That's where, this is my family. This is where I want to be. I can't think of anywhere else I would rather be on a Sunday morning than with my church family, worshiping God together, wanting to glorify him in all things. Now, this is something that happens in here. It happens in your heart. And every single person is different. If we took time this morning for everyone to stand up and give their testimony, say, this is what God has done in my life. There may be some similarities in our stories and how the Holy Spirit has worked in the methods and means he used to turn our lives upside down. But there's going to be unique aspects to every single person's story, every single person's testimony to how exactly God worked in their lives. And so everyone's different. There are early bloomers. There are some people who grow up never knowing a day when they didn't love the Lord and trust in him. And that's that's fantastic. And there are others who come to uh, that come to faith in Christ later in life. And that's beautiful as well. We praise God for that. One is not better than the other. And so we resist the temptation to, to create a, uh, a, a, an expectation that, all right, well, you reach a certain age, we're going to put you through a certain class, and then you have an ex- we're expecting you to get up there and to say these certain words and to make these promises, and everyone else is going to be there. Um, to have that pressure. But kids, let me encourage you by saying, as you examine your own heart, not what everyone else is talking about and, and talking to you about, but what you believe on the inside, to be honest with yourself. What do I believe? What do I think about these things? To realize this is a serious lifelong commitment. And for some of you, the first real adult decision that you will make in your life. It's, a, it's important. And although it is important, it has great weight with it. It is cause for great rejoicing. It's not something to be afraid of. I've talked with some young people over the years they say, well, I, I really want to do this, but I, I'm scared. Uh, you, know, I, you know, my parents said I need to talk to the pastor and the elders, and, and I have to go up in front of people, and so I don't want to do that. I'm worried. Don't be afraid of those things. I can tell you that this is, uh, this is one of the, the great blessings that uh, your, your church elders, your session, look forward to, hearing Uh, your testimony, your story, as you speak of your love 
for Jesus and your trust in him. So don't let any of that hold you back. And when you are ready to make that commitment, talk to your parents about this. Open up and they will explain more to you the joys of making your public profession of faith in Jesus. So where were we? Okay, back to our passage. Paul says, this cup of blessing that we bless is a participation in the blood of Christ. And so kids, one of the, the important reasons why um, you do not come to the Lord's table until you make that profession of faith is because Paul says you have to be able to discern the body and blood of the Lord. You have to know what's going on. And so you need, it needs to be real in here because it is a participation in Jesus. It is important. It is awesome. It is a cause for thanksgiving and rejoicing. It's one of the reasons uh, you, you may have heard the Lord's Supper called different kinds of things. All right, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Um, in other traditions, you may have heard of the term Eucharist. You may think, wow, that sounds like Catholic or Anglican, and, and that's a bad thing or something. No, it's just a Greek word, just like Presbyterian, right? Some people think that's a bad word too. But it just, it's just a Greek word. It means elders, right? Eucharisteo is to give thanks. It's a Thanksgiving meal. We give thanks for what Christ has done. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. His resurrected body exists in space and time. And he has said he will remain there until he returns for us. But he is very much present with us today by his spirit. That is how he is present with us. So kids, is Jesus present in the Lord's Supper? This was a, a great debate during the time of the Reformation. Is he present? How is he present? And so the answer is yes, he is present with us. He is present spiritually by his Holy Spirit. And that's how we are united to him. And so how do we participate in his blood and in his body if they're in heaven? What is Paul saying here? How do we make sense of this? Well, of course, it isn't his physical body and blood that Paul is talking about, but it is his saving work. He spilled his blood to save us from our sins. This is the blood that John tells us cleanses us from all sin in 1 John 1, 7. The blood that has been spiritually sprinkled upon us, we read in 1 Peter 1, 2. This is the blood that has freed us from our sins, we read in Revelation 1, 5. This is the blood that gives us entrance into the holy of holies, we read in Hebrews 1, 19. This is the blood that has brought us near to God. We read in Ephesians 2.13. By faith, we participate in his blood. This is the body through which we have died to the law. Hebrews 7.4. This is the body that we, uh, we have been sanctified through once and for all. Hebrews 10.10. 10. This is his body 
that is given for you. Luke 22:19. By faith, we participate in his body. The Lord's Supper is often called communion. You hear in that word union, unity. In the supper, we are united with one another and we are spiritually united with our risen Lord. His supper is a feast for your soul. And the supper has to do with your soul, not with your mouth and your stomach primarily. I mean, yes, we are ingesting some small bits of of food and drink. But it is the spiritual significance that is being pointed to. The same grace given in the word and in prayer is the grace received at the table. We don't have different kinds of grace. We got prayer grace over here, preaching grace, sacramental grace. That's not the case. The favor of God The overflowing love of the Father, Son, and the Spirit poured out upon us. Starting off the the juice, the wine, the bread that is brought here to the building is common. There's nothing special about it. You can buy this stuff at at HEB. You guys have H-E-B up here, right? No? All right. Well, you come down to San Antonio. I'll shine the light on you for you. Your life will be changed. Anyway. Oh, you got up here Kroger or um, Albertsons. Okay. Well, at your local grocer, um, unless you have someone in the church that specially makes it, that might be the case. Some churches do have a volunteer who bakes special bread. Um, But before this service, it's common. It can be used for many different things. But when we sit together at the table, it will be set apart for a special use in the covenant meal. It's no longer common at that point. But after the service is finished, it does become common again. No longer remains set apart because it has fulfilled its purpose in the sacramental meal. So it doesn't have to be ritualistically burned or or buried in a special manner. It's now suitable for common consumption and every church cleans up differently. Some use leftover bread in the fellowship meal. Others take it home to eat it or give it away because the focus is not on the bread. It is not on the wine. Our focus is on Jesus. His body, His blood. And what a joy it is to sit at His family table to share His covenant meal. The closest thing we have in our culture as a cognate for the Lord's Supper in the church would be our Thanksgiving meal. In our culture, it's a a family affair, a family celebration, relatives travel. They want to, family wants to be together around the same table to fellowship. And for some of you, those broken relationships that exist, you feel them. You feel loss during those times because you wish, or if you've had someone who's passed away, you feel that loss during those special times. 
and the church of Jesus Christ. This is our family meal. We're gathered with our brothers and sisters at our Father's table, set before us by our elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's provided all that we need for faith and for life. There's also an incompleteness there. There's a a yearning forward built into this supper because it won't be complete until we see Him face to face. He says, I won't even enjoy the best wine I have created until I can raise my glass with you in my kingdom. When we sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, then all will be fulfilled. All will be complete again. So Paul does say in verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In the supper, we are united to Christ. We are united one to another. It is a visible and a spiritual expression of our unity as brothers and sisters in Jesus. Our souls are bound together in Christ and to Christ. We are one body and He is our head. We share a union that is the beautiful and powerful work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who works in us the fruit of love. That as we read in Colossians 3.14, binds us together in perfect harmony. Though we are many, we are one. We need each other. God has brought us together for our mutual benefit. To live out our love for him and our love for one another for his glory. Rejoice in his saving grace. Rest in his Loving care. The Lord provides. He reminds us that although we're tempted to focus on the suffering that we experience in this life, the temporary things that are passing away, He has already provided all that we need. He has saved us by His grace. Christ has given you everything to make you His. And he continues to sustain you, to provide for you, one day at a time, moment by moment. And so rejoice as you participate spiritually in his body, in his blood, as your soul is refreshed by his spirit in his word and his supper. And may our Lord Jesus continue to build us up together in grace and unity by His Spirit to His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for blessing us with Your Word. Your Word is truth. We thank You for the blessing of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray that You would continue to nourish us by faith, by our risen Lord Jesus, through the power of Your Spirit who lives in us that you would use us to bring glory to your name as we enjoy you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.